Welcome to Cal St. G Academy, the educational podcast of the Parish of Calvary St. George's. These podcasts are intended to inform and deepen your faith so that you can share your faith thoughtfully with the world around you. For more information about the parish, go to calvarystgeorges.org. And now, break out your moleskin prayer journal, and let's get started. The Creed is a four-week series of Cal St. G Academy. Each week, we'll take an informative and edifying look at the Apostles' Creed. These talks are recorded live every Sunday at Calvary Church. This week, like last week, we focused in on Article Number Two of the Creed. Article Number Two of the Creed, right? The first article is on God the Father. Second, God the Son. Third, God the Holy Spirit, which has, as we'll see in two weeks, it includes you know, the Church and the resurrection, and etc. This week, we're kind of doing the second part of that second article, again on Jesus. And as you'll see, there's a whole lot to it. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, ascends into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He'll come to judge the living and the dead. I'm only going to be able to, because of time constraints, focus in on he descended into hell. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. Maybe one day we'll be able to do everything. Um, but yet this class would go on for quite a while if we didn't kind of divide it up. And I'll try to kind of incorporate some of the other things. I do think that our church is so bent on talking about enjoying your forgiveness, about the cross, Christ suffered, was buried, died, that maybe because you get that especially... Every week, we'll focus on the things that we talk about less often, or come up less in text. So, let's begin with, he descended into hell, on the third day he rose from the, again, from the dead. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I grew up in a pretty evangelical world, despite the fact that I've said earlier, Jewish mother, Roman Catholic father, but the church that really formed me was evangelical, and I'm very much indebted to them. They taught devotion in me, but this line of the creed, whether we were saying creeds at all, was especially, would give us, we weren't sure what to make of it. Descended into hell, is this biblical, what's going on with this? But this line, and here I'm going to go straight into it, it, it's essentially the whole message of the Bible, particularly the New Testament, is that death is not the end. Death does not defeat God's promise, right? You see that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all die, their offsprings continue, But they have trust that the promise will continue. We too, and we see this in Jesus' life, death does not defeat the promise. It does not separate us from God. In Jesus, God has dwelt among the dead. We mentioned that he experienced a birth, right? The virgin birth last week. We're saying here that God has touched the very limits of our nature. From birth to death. God in Jesus has been there and he's gone there to sanctify us and to unite us to God, to make us right with God. So here we have the the holy, living God embracing the dead uh, in God's own being. So death here, because it has no power over him, as we'll get into in a second, it's subsumed by capital L life. So in saying that Jesus descended 
into hell, we are continuing to say that the Son of God has taken our nature to himself. He allows our fallen nature to drag him down, down into the depths of the abyss of the human condition. He even embraces our humanity at the point of its total collapse into what we would think of as non-being. Because Jesus shares our nature, he is able to fall with us into death. Because he is the Son of God, he is able to fill even death with his presence. So that, if you're going to write anything down, write this. So that even the grave becomes a source of life. So in Christ, the dead are united to God and are alive in the strength of that union. So that the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, it's not just some isolated miracle related to Christ, but this is the future of all of us, of the entire human family. Christ has been raised, therefore we will be as well. In the ancient church, the message of Christ's spectacular triumph over death produced some peculiar attitudes toward the dead. We see this sometimes in, amongst our, our Mexican brothers and sisters and some other. Like to us, these are peculiar, but believers would assemble for prayer in tombs. In fact, in the ancient world, they would worship Christ among the bones of the dead. Believers would raise the bodies of martyrs in the air and parade them through the streets like trophies. Are they doing this because they believe that these, that the the saints or those martyred are, are idols? No. They are doing this because Christ has risen from the, from the grave, from the dead. Death is not the final word. Uh, they're doing it in this very tangible way. It's like a trophy. Um, at funerals, they would gaze lovingly on the dead and sing songs of praise over their bodies. And this type of behavior shocked their pagan neighbors. Again, I was talking a little bit about the Romans in there. According to Roman law, the dead had to be buried miles away from the city so that the living would not be contaminated by the dead. We even see this in Judaism, right? The Old Testament, don't, don't get too close to a dead body. It'll contaminate you. Um, but Christians place the dead right at the center of their public gatherings. Think of the, even, you know, your, your European churches, right? Uh, the graveyards are right there. Even in our church, right? The, the uh, uh, I can't think of the, the word of it right now, where we, columbarium is right in the church. This would have been really weird to the ancients, to the pagans. Don't be contaminated by this. Um, in fact, the earliest church buildings were really just big mausoleums erected over the remains of martyrs. So in, uh, in the words of one church father, the tombs of the saints were tombs with life, tombs that give voice. Uh, these Christians were so convinced of this, but they would, they would have the dead right there. Um, when new believers were preparing for baptism, right? I remember back to the first week. I gave that little talk about how people were baptized in the ancient church. When they were preparing for baptism, they would gather in the presence of the dead. And there they would receive instructions 
in the ancient catechism. And not next week, because I'll be away, but the week after that, we will. What does it mean, the communion of the saints? Well, here's a little picture. These, these early Christians believe there's like a veil between the living and the dead. That the, 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 the line between living and dead is not so firm as we tend to think of it. Um, even today, the Apostles' Creed makes most sense when you imagine the words echoing among the bones of catacombs. Because that's where this, this creed was birthed. Um, so the creed is marked everywhere by this unflinching acceptance of the facts of human mortality. That's coupled with a straightforward confidence in the ultimate triumph of life. A triumph that has already happened once for all in the person of Jesus and that by extension will happen to all of us in this room and not in this room. In the ancient world and even today where others only see defeat, might see oblivion, Jesus' followers saw a paradoxical victory. Where others saw contamination, Christians saw the sanctification of human nature. Where others saw brokenness and despair, Christians saw broken gates. So, for Christians, we believe that death is serious, right? Paul says, we can mourn, and we mourn as those who have hope. Um, and, um, but more importantly, uh, it's been placed in the context of a wider meaning. We bury our dead under the sign of the cross. We lay our bones to rest, not in horror, but we rest in peace. The dominant sound, oftentimes at Christian funerals, is not the sound of mourning. Sure, there's mourning. Of course there's mourning. But there's also the singing of praise. Which uh, when we really think about it, if we believe in oblivion, it's pretty ridiculous. So, but ultimately, Christ's ascent into the dead and his victory over it uh, means that death is no longer the ultimate power in this world. I'm going to say that again. As for many of us, the way we think about it, even as Christians, death is that ultimate enemy, ultimate power. But according to the early Christians, death is not the ultimate power. In the ancient church, the martyrs, the martyrs, those killed for their faith or persecuted for their faith, were seen as special proof of that. The martyrs oftentimes went to their death and they went boldly, triumphantly, confidently. How they did that, I don't know because I'd be freaking out. But this is why the martyrs were so important to this you know, early sect. So I'm going to give an example from in the 4th century, uh, a guy by the name of Athanasius, uh, who I've mentioned before, but really important uh, for helping the church come to grips with this understanding of the Trinity. But he compared the martyrs to those who play, for, to like children who would play with lions in the wilderness. He writes this. If you were to see a child playing with a lion, don't you know that the lion must be either dead or completely powerless? In the same way, when you see Christ's believers playing with death and despising it, there can be no doubt that death has been destroyed by Christ 
and that its corruption has been dissolved and brought to an end. End quote. So in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we Christians believe that death had been altered. Um, And now, says Athanasius again, we no longer die as those condemned, but as those who will arise. So by nature, you and I um, are on our way from birth to death. But by grace, remember over these last couple weeks, we're actually traveling in the opposite direction, according to the Christian faith. The Christian life is a mystery that moves from death to birth, from baptism to resurrection. At the beginning, we are baptized into Christ's death, and at the end, we're born into the life of the resurrection. Um, So that's really all I want to say about descent into hell. I could get way more into it, and I've gotten into that more when we did our, our class on the atonement and what exactly that means. But I think for our purposes with the creed, that's all we need for now. If you want to ask questions later... Uh, they come to mind, please do, but let's, let's wait to the end. So let's also take a look at the line, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Um, none of us are super pumped about the idea of judgment, right? Especially uh, as moderns, we really despise this idea. But I'm going to present this, and then I will open the floor for questions for this one, uh, because I'm not going to touch upon every aspect of judgment as well. But I'm going to focus in on this one aspect that I kind of briefly mentioned in the sermon and that Fleming Rutledge has has mentioned when she's been here before. And this is that the judgment that Christ brings is not just a division between two types of people, um, but it is, uh, it essentially creates a division within ourselves. Christ's light shines into our lives and we understand that there's this division. None of us is entirely good or entirely bad. Uh, Each of us is a mixture. The bad grows up in our lives like weeds among the wheat. And the two are so closely entwined that in this life, we can't easily see the difference. Sometimes our worst mistakes turn out to produce good fruit. And other times we discover that our virtues have produced unforeseen collateral damage. So our lives are not transparent to ourselves. We don't see all. And we cannot easily tell where the bad ends and the good begins. So I think that it's actually a comfort to know that one day someone else, someone outside of us will come and lovingly separate the good from the bad in our lives. The confession that Christ will come as a judge, is not really an expression of terror and doom. The fact that Christ is judge is actually a part of the good news of the gospel. It is a joy to know that there is someone who understands all of our complexities, all of the ambiguities of our life, and to know that this person comes full of grace and truth. This person comes not to destroy, but to save. And he saves by his judgment. Uh, Let me give you an illustration of this, uh, again, from the early church father, Gregory of Nyssa. This is 4th century, 300s AD. He composes this dialogue with uh, his sister, who he calls his teacher, uh, Nachrana, if you're at all interested in that. 
And uh, in this dialogue, he discusses the body, the soul, and resurrection. And it, he also depicts the divine judgment. And he talks about judgment as this painful but necessary purification in which each person is finally set free to respond to the love of God completely. So he writes this. The divine judgment does not primarily bring punishment on sinners. It operates only by separating good from evil and pulling the soul toward communion and blessedness. It is the tearing apart of what has grown together which brings pain to the one who is being pulled. So what does Gregory mean by that? He means that Jesus is going to come. He's going to come as the judge of the living and the dead. And that actually, according to Gregory, that is the best thing that could ever happen to us. Because that means that there will be a day when the weeds in us will be separated from the wheat. Uh, Kind of like what I was saying in the sermon earlier. That will be the day when I will stop hurting the people I say I love the most. Gregory says it will hurt when our self-deceptions... About, our deceptions about ourselves are burned away. But the pain of that truth heals. It does not destroy. On our judgment day, we will be able for the first time to see the truth of our lives. When we see ourselves, despite everything, despite when the, when the weeds are thrown out, we will still be seen as loved. We still will be loved. So this is what, again, what Fleming's talking about. I long for the refiner's fire. Um, this is not about purgatory, which is what some people in their minds make it about, but this is that notion of there will be a day when I will live like Christ and everything that isn't like Christ will be taken away. Um, That's what a lot of the early church fathers say is primarily what is meant by the living, uh, by by him coming as judge to judge the living and the dead. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cal St. G Academy. All of these podcasts are recorded at live events and lectures hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. Want to hear more? Stop by the church sometime and attend one of these events live. Or swing by one of our many services where we seek to rightly divide the word of truth week by week with sermons that always point to where we end and God begins. Find out more about all of our events and offerings by visiting calvarystgeorges.org. And if these free podcasts have meant something to you, and you feel led to support our ministry, head on over to calvarystgeorges.org slash giving and make a donation today. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.